ba 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 da bang da bang bang da ba 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 blue moo. <laughs> Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast once again. All you pop bros, pop hoes, I'm trying to make it stick. I'm working on some other things. Sorry about the uh, the toxic masculinity up front. That's the last time it will happen. But with actually, you know what? Today's topic, it's not the last time it's going to happen. But <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Pop Buzz Eye Podcast once again. Uh, I am Travis Ratz, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jay. How you doing, Jay? I am doing well, Mr. Travis. Oh, I don't believe you. you. I don't believe you. Oh, and no. We're going we're to no. get to the bottom of that. It was a very unconvincing well, uh, and we're going to get to the bottom of that. But first, I want to say that uh, here on the Pop Bonsai Podcast, we surf the waves of pop culture, bringing you the best sets from pop culture history, from all kinds of medium from films to albums to podcasts to art to articles to documentaries you name it and it's gonna be on this podcast what do we have it knows no bounds it knows no bounds what do we have coming you know what jay i didn't even look at it i don't even think i prepped at all i just hope i've seen and heard everything we're talking about today what are we talking about today jay so today uh our werewolf set as you mentioned we're going to be Talking about Ozzy Osbourne's uh, 1983 LP, ba- A Bark at the Moon, and uh, John Landis, uh, An American Werewolf in London, which came out in 1981. And we're going to talk about um, this this podcast called Weird Darkness and their episode specific wolf called Werewolf Lore, Legend, and Lycanthropy. And that came out uh, September 30th this year. Okay, so this is our second of our two October kind of horror episodes. We did one last episode called Budget Horror. If you haven't listened to that one, go ahead and check it out. That was a really fun one, actually. I really enjoyed that one. And this one, Jay, I've been looking forward to, and I've also been dreading. Um, (laughs) Where do you put werewolves in your pantheon of... Uh, pop culture monsters. Oh, it's right up there. It, it's at least top three. Top, you th- know. To- oh, that. I mean, it's up there. But I mean, what beats a werewolf, in your opinion? Uh, probably vampires. Lame. So you got Lame vampires, day. you got werewolves, and then you can either you can interchange like a swamp lagoon creatures or mummies. Do you, can you lump in a mummy with a zombie? Can we lump those together? Because mummies on their own, I don't think, have the legs. I don't think they can stand on their own. But if we compile them into the zombie universe, I mean, because what is a mummy if not a zombie, then I think maybe mummies have a little bit more cachet. I think mummies have a little bit more, like, mystical energy. Mm-hmm. They're like they have a little bit more of like a uh, you know they're they're cursed and usually you know they're they're trying to get to like the artifact that's that can finally you know let them go back into the beyond or whatever. But there's usually a little more like like magic or something involved with mummies as opposed to just like your run of the mill zombie. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you this right now, Jay. Werewolves are not only my number one pop culture monster of like the classic oh. monsters but uh, there's i mean people have different fears in the world i think i believe probably still number one is the fear of public speaking 
Uh, number two is public podcasting. No. Um, uh, <laughs> and then there's like heights. Uh, I don't know, spiders, snakes. For me, not only is werewolves the most terrifying pop culture monster, but it's a real fear I have in real life, Jay. Jay, I am, really? as a kid, I was very concerned with werewolves. <laughs> I thought that werewolves were the thing that was, some people think they're going to die in car crashes. I thought I was going to be eaten by a werewolf. This, these things terrified me as a child. So what, which terrified you? The fact that you were going to be like torn apart by a werewolf or that you would be like scratched and in turn then become a werewolf? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, that I'd be mauled by a werewolf. Mm. I, the idea of becoming a werewolf, the, guy, the idea of turning into a monster doesn't, I guess I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against that. I, I'm, I'm okay with being a vampire. <laughs> Zombie kind of sucks, but I mean, you're dead anyway. So like, what does it matter? Uh, but in a werewolf, I feel like that only affects you a few, what, a couple times a month? Yeah. Once a month, twice a month. I don't know. I'm not a science guy. I don't know about moons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do my moon research for this podcast. Uh, yeah, I believe, I believe so. Yeah. Now, I think, I think what it stems from is when I was a kid, before I should have been watching horror movies, uh, the early ones that I caught seemed to all have werewolves in them. Like the howling, um, and uh, other things, even in things like Monster Squad, I thought the mm. aesthetic image of the werewolf was so terrifying, and they're so ferocious and so vicious that they used to scare me. The werewolves used to be the werewolf movies used to be the number one slumber party go to terror movie for me growing up. Every time I found myself uh, at some kid's house and we're having a sleepover, it seems like they're always popping on a werewolf movie. And you can't protest. You can't be like, oh, but can't we watch Ernest Scared Stupid instead? They have trolls. <laughs> you have to be like, yeah, I mean, cool, whatever. Let's watch The Howling 2. Uh, well, you could have met somewhere in the middle and like done Teen Wolf. You know what I'm going to tell you? you know? I'm going to tell you this, Jay. Teen Wolf scared me too. Teen Wolf scared me too. <laughs> And I just rewatched uh, Teen Wolf this week and didn't scare me as an adult, but I saw some of the scenes and I'm like, I get why this is scary. I mean, long claws, hairy face, uncontrollable hormones. This I deal with teenagers on a daily basis, Jay. This is my life. I deal with mm -hmm. Teen Wolves. Um, and so that, <laughs> that really kind of werewolves just captured my imagination. And my sister knew this. She knew I was terrified of werewolves. So uh -oh. we used to have this two-story house. Uh, one of the houses we lived in when I was around a young age was this two-story house. And it's that thing where at the end of the day, you're kind of getting ready for bed, and you're upstairs, lights are on, the whole family's upstairs, downstairs is dark. And then your mom comes in your room, and they're like, well, you left toys downstairs, so you have to go pick them up before you can go to sleep. And then there's that walk down the stairs, and downstairs you kind of turn on, there's no one down there, and you have to turn the lights off when you leave, and our stairwell didn't have a light on it. So once you turned off the downstairs lights, it was complete darkness until you got up the stairs, which is not by any means a good safety feature of a house. You got to have a stairwell. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, the it early helped. 90s. It, you know, people didn't care if you fell and broke your, uh, you know, they came out with one of those uh, uh, panic button things. You know, I've fallen and I can't get up. And they thought that was a substitute for good lighting in a house. 
And <laughs> my sister would know I was downstairs. And as soon as I would hit those stairs, she would holler, Wolfie, 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 Wolfie. Just, just the word Wolfie over and over again. And I would scream and panic run up those stairs as fast as my legs could take me. I was, wow. I, I am, I am not a fan of werewolves. I am not a fan of werewolves. Uh, we're going to talk about that podcast later. And in that podcast, they talk about a town that had suspicions of having a real life werewolf in it. If I hear reports yeah. in a town about having a lagoon creature, I'm fine. I might even go try to track it. Vampires, no problem. I'm not sexy enough. They're not going to bite me. A werewolf, I'm fucking moving. I'm fucking moving. I don't care if it's if if there's like three articles in like legit town newspapers where they have evidence that a werewolf might be in town. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, there's some um so so did you ever watch Harry Potter? Did did the werewolf in, in Harry Potter kind of freak you out? Oh, I was a little bit older when Harry Potter came out. I thought the design of that werewolf was pretty terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was yeah. too old to be uh, sucked in by my imagination. But I'll tell you why. I, I, Jay, let me tell you something. I overdid it this week. Uh, I am a, I'm a good student of pop culture. And so when we give our pop culture set assignments, uh, whether it be budget horror or werewolves, I will watch and listen and read the prescribed uh, set readings. But then I'll go over above and beyond. So this week, I really dove into werewolves. I watched, of course, our, our main feature, American Werewolf in London. And then I watched 1994's Jack Nicholson, uh, Wolf. Uh, then I watched oh. 2002's Dog Soldiers. Then I watched Teen Wolf for a little light fare. Uh, and then I watched one more. Which one uh, other one did I watch? Um, ooh, I can't remember that one now. But I really dug into werewolves this week, Jay. I got werewolves in the brain, yeah, man. I guess so. And one of the things that I found in watching all of these again is I think I might be coming out of my werewolf fear. I think I might be coming out. I, I enjoyed them. Uh, I got to watch <laughs> them with a different lens. Uh, I didn't run up my stairs in my house here. I think I'm, I think I'm growing up, Jay. Well... It might be the movies you actually. Maybe if you would have chosen, you know, the, the you know, I've never seen Dog Soldiers. I want to. I hear Ooh, it's really good. good. But maybe if you would have chosen like uh, like Silver Bullet or something like you know, instead of Wolf with Jack Nicholson, you know, Jay, I don't a little more menacing. I don't, under, I don't understand why you're downplaying my accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Maybe that's why you 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 know you think you're safe from werewolves. You know. You, you, I mean, I think maybe Teen Wolf did it. I think Teen Wolf did it, and uh, there were a couple other ones. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I think the the werewolf in Monster Squad, like I said, is pretty terrifying. Uh, so I've seen some werewolf yeah. movies, and, and uh, going up, growing up, and uh, I always find that I think. So let's kind of switch topics here as we 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 kind of start getting closer to talking about our set pieces. Um, I'm going to make a statement. And I want you to respond. I think werewolves are the most underutilized movie monster. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't know if I agree, but I, I will definitely hear an argument for that. Well, it's not say an argument. It's just I think there's so much to explore with werewolves. I think that they are like I said, aesthetically terrifying. 
I think, uh, especially based on listening to this podcast about this whole lore of werewolves, there's so many angles you can go from, from a historic yeah. aspect of a werewolf, like we've seen with a lot of vampire movies, like all, uh, you know, uh, Dracula-esque movies. Um, and then you have the metaphor for the werewolf, which we're going to talk a lot about today, I'm sure, for the actual werewolf being a metaphor for human wildness uh giving into temptation and in chaos and in all those a- aspects of it as well and then there's such a variety available when it comes to displaying the were- werewolf there's you can everyone can bring their own take to what a werewolf is as i was watching all these werewolf mm-hmm. movies these last two weeks i'm like there's no two werewolves are the same and an auteur can really bring their own style to a werewolf movie. You can show it a lot. You can treat it like Jaws and show it a little bit. Um, and it, a werewolf can fit into just about any genre there is. And so I think okay. I'm surprised that when we look at horror movies today, there's a lot of zombies. There's a lot of vampires. Those things are hot right now. But what I'm not seeing is a lot of werewolves. And I'm like, why isn't, what, when is the new werewolf renaissance? Yeah. Okay. When you put it like that, yeah, I agree. There are lots of, lots of zombies and, and, and vampires are always going to be pop. But yeah, it, it seems like we haven't had a good, solid werewolf movie in a long time. And one of the things that maybe we can, we can try to attack today or a question we can come back to is what makes, making a werewolf movie difficult what 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 challenges come with that because it seems to be that hollywood and pop culture tend to steer away from, are they kind of steering away from that um from doing these werewolf movies when there's hundreds of vampire movies hundreds of zombie movies so what is it about a werewolf movie that can make it difficult to capture on film so we can kind of come back to that one, but maybe we should jump okay, right yeah. into our our first set here, and let's talk about this. I want to start off with the podcast today. Normally we start off with the movie, but let's start off with the podcast today. Weird Darkness is a podcast, and like the title describes, it's a podcast that you can check out. And each episode, it kind of looks at uh, dark tales from history, and it kind of takes a very academic look at weird dark things in our world or in our mythology it's yeah it's not a lot of pageantry to it it's not like um overproduced in the sense that they try to make it scary like a like a mystery thriller it almost feels like a history channel documentary without all the repetition that history channel documentaries (laughs) have Uh, and this one was called the werewolf lore legend and lycanthropy yeah. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. And I think one of one of the key points though is that yeah, he does take a, a, an academic approach and I think his name is Darren Marler. Um and he's like a he, I guess he's a voice actor and he's he's been fairly he's been around for quite a while and he's a, a really likable dude and it it almost reminds me of instead More of like, like a, a PBS like likable dude. <laughs> Instead of like a like a stuffy PBS thing, he has the voice of like a, like a likable, like like he would maybe be making it for like a, a like a school, like an elementary school. To, you know the way his his voice fluctuations and stuff. He's 
and, and it's it's so it's very informative and it's it's not pretentious and he doesn't you know go above anybody's heads i mean it's just it's a very um very lean straight to the point uh podcast and i i really enjoyed it in fact i subscribed to it yeah and i gave it a like and great. a listen because i i thought it was uh well produced and if you're taking notes on this podcast you're gonna have a book when you're done because the information is just hit 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 Oh, yeah. So if you're listening to this because you're a werewolf fan, you haven't listened to this podcast, definitely check it out. And if you're kind of dipping your toes into werewolf, it's not really been your monster. This is a great place to start with. Okay, where does the werewolf lore come from? He looks at it from the historic side, from the religious side, from the political side, from the crime side, to the story side, to the pop culture side, all within just a little over an hour, around an hour for the podcast. And he gets to hit all those angles. So some of the big ideas that he touches on in that podcast, we're going to try to bring in and put through the lens of American Werewolf in London and Ozzy Osbourne's Bark of the Moon and kind of probably tied some of those ideas back to what he talked about in this podcast. Yeah, it's it's so, so well researched and and it's so well put together. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I was really, really impressed. I, you know, 10 times more the research than I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, no, but... I mean, this is a well-researched, uh, and he put, he puts in the show notes. He's always like, I'm putting this down in the show notes so you can click a link to this book yeah. or whatever it is. Um, so what, this, listening to this podcast, I don't know how much, I mean, to call it historical facts on the mythology part of werewolf is a little bit hard, but when they talk about the mythology of werewolves, especially coming from the Greeks and the Romans. So what is it about the early mythology of werewolves that you, did you find anything particularly interesting about that or any new information that, that kind of surprised you as far as the mythical origins of a werewolf? Um, I found all of that really interesting. I, I, when, okay. So when you were talking about, you know, I wonder why people don't make a solid werewolf movie. I don't think I've ever seen a movie. First of all, it'd be awesome to see a, a werewolf movie like back in like, um, like Roman time, you know, like, like ancient Rome or, or whatever, um, you know, and, and like, like he was saying in the podcast, they're talking about how um, there were stories about uh, people like inheriting like magical wolf pelts mm-hmm. or um, drinking water from a, a puddle that from a wolf print from a wolf footprint mm-hmm. and they're saying that you know they used to think that could turn you into a, a wolf and just a lot of really really interesting things i've never heard before ever and and that's really interesting because i'm like you were saying i'm pretty sure vampire lore you know zombie lore has been done to death but the fact that there's still so many roads to 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 go down uh, for werewolf stories um was was really interesting and i'm like gosh why doesn't somebody do this something with this you yeah know? yeah well i i i think that people things that they're terrified of 
they tend to avoid in the pop culture realm, but they tend to get excited about to study academically. Like reading an academic take on vampires or uh, great white sharks, if you're terrified of sharks. You might not watch a shark movie, but you would read something about sharks in an academic sense. And that's the way I felt about this. And I, th I thought I had a pretty good academic general knowledge of werewolves because anytime someone's like, so did you know that werewolves? I'm like, did you say werewolves? I am terrified of werewolves. I will listen more. Uh, you have my attention, sir. Uh, is there, do, how do I kill them? Um, and in this, I thought what was particularly interesting was the religious aspect of it. I think mo a lot of oh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of monsters have uh, a religious tie to them. And one of the you know kind of arguments that he makes is that you know Catholicism in in a way to separate themselves from the pagans is they turned any idolized pagan creatures into Catholic enemies, monsters, right? So whereas in pagan cultures uh, with the beginning of Catholicism, some people might worship a wolf or they might worship a chupacabre style type creature, when Catholicism comes in, they're like, no, we got our guy. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to make this is you're either team human or you're team animal. And if you're team animal, that's pagan. And those are monsters. And so I thought about that. I'm like, wow, you know, religion tends to do that a lot. Anything that is not spiritually human, we tend to turn that into some sort of grotesque monster when in its original form in some pagan culture, it could be this beautiful, like even Native American culture, these animals could mm -hmm. be both uh, kind and evil and much more gray area than Catholic heroes and Catholic figures and Catholic, you know, saints. Um, and so I thought that was an interesting way for this animal-like creature to become so villainized throughout mythology and the following centuries uh, was that ability to, for Catholicism to separate themselves from other uh, religions. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was funny how he was talking about the um, the uh, hounds of heaven angle where like one of the guys that they tried was actually saying, oh, no, no you people have people have it all wrong werewolves are not from hell they're not demons we're actually the good guys and we we're sent to hell to battle demons you know and i'm yeah, like yeah. what That's, i've never heard that before but another thing i i thought was really interesting is how it it seems like a lot of times um werewolves and, and like monsters and stuff like that were like a scapegoat to like mental illness Excuse me. you know like they had like a you know a guy that would do horrific things and then be oh well he must be a werewolf Yo, you know, that's that's the easy answer yeah absolutely you know? so in in the podcast i talk about in the 15th 16th and 17th centuries there were these things called the werewolf trials and I thought was really yeah. interesting where people would be tried and oftentimes like decapitated or hung or burned because they were um, accused of being werewolves uh, the same way that witches were burned or I'm sure vampires uh, as well. Um, 
But werewolves, especially even more so maybe than witches or vampires, are although I'm sure it falls in the same category, just really does reflect this mental illness. And that gets brought up again later in the podcast where they talk about, I forgot the official scientific name for it, lichen something, um, where they have people who legitimately believe that they transform into animals, oftentimes like a wolf, or but it could be a cat, or like Michael Jackson in Thriller, uh, a cat wolf, <laughs> um, or a, a kanga wolf, or whatever it is, but this kind of uh, transformation, that, that's, a, that's a real mental illness. And in fact, in this yeah. new Halloween movie, Hubie Halloween, they have a uh, Steve Buscemi plays a character, and he's just a human, but he believes that he is a werewolf. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm recommending the movie, but it is, <laughs> Man, it is top it's topical here. to our conversation here. <laughs> yeah, I did not know that they had so many werewolf trials. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, he said it, it like rivaled the amount of witch trials that they had. And, um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting how they'd be like some specific cases and, and be like some, in some cases the people would admit they were werewolves Yeah, and in, in others they'd be like, yeah, he's a werewolf. And in others he'd be like, no, he's just insane. So yeah. uh, how did... I would have loved to be have been a fly on the wall on one of those. Can you imagine what how those trials would have went down? I feel like you know how sometimes people who are really out there they like shit in public places. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that might be where the werewolf thing came from. Because if someone's just dropping a deuce like in the middle of a courtroom, you're like, "That's a dog move. You're a werewolf. Hang this motherfucker." <laughs> Whereas witches is a little more subtle, you know, like you have to like drown them or something, uh, or they have like a mole or something like that. But a werewolf, if you're dropping <laughs> a deuce, then you're 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 hung. Uh, I tell you what, if I if this was if Salem, if it wasn't the Salem witch trials, if it was the Salem wolf trials, I would not be in ever go to Salem. I would be like, I know that the Salem witch trials were kind of this conspiracy, and now there's stuff saying it had to deal with, like, hallucinogenics. But eh, on the slight chance it's not, and these are real werewolves, I'm not coming to Salem. Not happening. There's always that slight chance. Yeah. A witch, man, a witch. I slap a witch. (laughs) (laughs) I'll switch. I feel like I could seduce a witch. I feel like I could be charming enough to seduce a witch. I feel like a witch would have no malice towards me. I feel like a witch is going to go after fuckboys and douchebags. And I feel like a witch is going to leave me alone, you know? But, well, yeah, but wouldn't you kind of be concerned that you would, like, slight her and not know it? And then she'd have that thing against you? Bonsai bros and hoes? Something like that would probably do it. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd have to like pr- try to, you know, be like, hey, I-, I didn't mean it. And try to convince her that you're actually not that guy. Oh, but yeah. she wouldn't buy it. She'd just hate you more. That's true. That's a good point. If I had the, if I had the idea that some a woman was a witch, like let's say it was a colleague that I worked with, I'd just bring her like, <laughs> I'd bring her like sweets. 
I compliment her <laughs> like a lot. Home baked, home yeah. baked sweets. Yeah, I'd be like, Ooh. Nice. I'm like, you know what? Is that? A- I love your beauty mark. She's like, it's a mole, and I go, not from where I'm standing. Well, that would certainly work for me. Yeah, I tell you, I'd forgive you like that. Yeah, home ba- home. In home- fact, I'd, I'd I'd curse your enemies too on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'd be the first one i'm like listen if you're gonna if this weekend what do you get into she's like witchy stuff i'm like cool well i got nothing <laughs> planned i can i can tag along if you want you know just general witch. Well, i mean i don't want to be like a witch i don't want to be a witch bitch i want to be like the companion like the ride along the ride or die <laughs> kind of guy like he's not there for every witch adventure but you know uh we can we can we can sit home and maybe like watch every which way but loose <laughs> you know as a popcorn just chill netflix and chill as I'm the kids sh- say you'd be like the one cool guy that they all like like yeah man i'm just like hey what's yeah. up witches like oh travis <laughs> this isn't the witch podcast the werewolf podcast and w- so uh the other thing that i thought was interesting about the podcast is they talk about common elements in the werewolf mythology, things like uh, full moons and silver bullets. And I found interesting, yeah. I would have thought that those elements were part of the werewolf lore from way back. But a lot of those yeah. elements are uh, 19th, 20th century elements. A lot of them are 20th century, 19th century elements that have been added in. In fact, things like the full moon weren't added in until you know, Hollywood came along uh, or items mm-hmm. like the silver bullet weren't around. So like the 1900 or the 1800s, like when a store story where someone was killed by silver. Um, and so I thought those, that was really interesting because to me, those are the staples of werewolf lore and they are actually rather new things. Yeah. One of the things I think is so cool about, about monsters is the way that there's only specific ways to defeat them. And, and the more like creative, you know, like they always have, they're not always all powerful. They always have their, you know, their, their, their boundaries and their, their weaknesses. And I, I really like the, the werewolf um, uh, lore of, of the, the, the full moon and the, the silver bullet. And like, you know, like you said, uh, I mean, we, you know, we're talking about vampires, you know, the wooden stake and the crucifix or whatever. But um, I always liked that about werewolves for some reason that they're, it, it was tied to the lunar cycle. I always think of it always, always, always. Whenever I look up at the sky and that's just a full moon, I always think about werewolves. You think of Luna Lunas, every time. Lunacy, right? Which that comes from that Latin word, you know, uh, uh-huh. of the moon, lunacy, uh, lunar. And yeah, I, I think about that too. And I was really surprised that they, they are kind of more of a modern... Uh, take on on the werewolf uh, so i thought that was really interesting on it just just the podcast is is packed full of stuff uh and i listened to it before i watched the back half of my were- werewolf movie viewing this week and so <laughs> it was interesting to have that in the back of my head remember guys on the pop uh, pop bonsai uh podcast the idea is to create this pop culture experience right it's not just to view something in seclusion but to pair it with other things and try to find through lines and so in the month of October, you still have a couple of days left. Um, if you want to dig into a real cult 
figure monster and you want to watch some werewolf movies, do yourself a favor and listen to this podcast first. It's only an hour. And then when you watch those movies, see what elements from mythology, from politics, from religion, from modern day news stories that they're pulling in and where they are using them and how they're using them. I think it will make your experience a little bit more enjoyable if you listen to this podcast first. I totally agree. I, I I really, really, I highly recommend um, weird darkness. And from what I can see, it's on every podcast platform. Yeah. I'm I'm going to listen to a couple more this October uh, to get me in more of that kind of spooky atmosphere. But speaking of, Oh yeah. Speaking of spooky, we're going to talk about, I think I might say one of your favorite films. Jay. Yeah. One of your favorite films. So I'm going to let you uh, introduce this film. Well, uh, I step out for just a moment. <laughs> of course, of course. No, and the the movie that, that uh, Travis is talking about is called um, An American Werewolf in London. It came out in uh, 1981, way back then. I was well, actually it was like six years old when it came out. But um, it was written and directed by uh, John Landis, who as most people know from movies like Animal House, uh, Blues Brothers, uh, another one of my favorite movies, uh, Trading Places with uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, uh, Three Amigos, Coming to America. So this guy did all of these movies. And if you can find a common thread in all those movies I just I, I just read off, it's that they're all comedies. And... Um, an American Werewolf in London is considered um, a horror comedy. And I personally think it leans a little bit more towards the horror, but um, I think that's, that might be why I was so taken by this movie is because it had, it did have some lighthearted and comedic elements mixed with pretty much straight up terror. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, that's, that's, that's what I think I found. So um, what, why this movie stood out to me. I think as far as pop culture is concerned, this felt like the most pop culture werewolf film that I've seen. Um, like you said, it does yeah. straddle those genres. I think even more detailed than that. I think it's a sex comedy. Uh, I think it is a, a little horror, animal house in there. Yeah, a, a horror film, and there's also some because it's it's still the early '80s. It, there's some kind of there's some kind of Scorsese taxi driver when they're in, in Piccadilly and the way they shoot the city and they go to that, oh, that porn theater yeah. parts of that and the way they shoot it felt like I, I, I could see. Maybe it's the film stock of that era, but you know when they're sitting in that theater, I can't help but think of Travis Bickle in in a theater, the way that's shot, and also the intensity of those scenes of being visited by the 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 Walking Dead of his victims and the brutality that appears in the third act. That third act just turns that comedy sex uh, comedy on its head. And it becomes this really dark, introspective, I mean, punch. And I yeah. thought that it was this weird mix of of uh, pop culture genres that could be hard to pull off. But this movie stuck oh, with yeah. this movie stuck with me. 
uh, I watched it last weekend and maybe in the middle of the day and I thought about it all the way till uh, I fell asleep and I fell asleep thinking about it. Um, and so something about this movie really sticks with you because on the surface, when I watched it, uh, I, I guess maybe I was expecting it to be a little bit more epic, but it seemed, it's a very small uh-huh. movie, you know, it, 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 uh-huh. it, uh, it's weird because it starts off big, you know, we're in these moors and there are these two travelers and you know, there it's this English countryside and you think it's going to be kind of this sprawling landscape. But then the second act is all takes place kind of, you know, in this apartment and the, a few locations within the city. And then the third act is uh, Piccadilly uh, with the attack. And yeah, I, I just didn't, I thought it was going to take more, maybe more place in like the moors. I thought they were going to go back there more. I thought it was going to be running through the moors and attacking, but a lot of this is a city movie. You know, I guess it makes sense. It's called yeah. uh, American werewolf in London, that American werewolf visits English countryside. Uh, <laughs> but I liked that. I liked how it, it was small in three locations, you know, those locations. And I thought that that was really great. I thought that the movie, it kept you engaged. It, it 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 didn't seem big but they did a good job of of making it feel more epic than on paper it probably was yeah yeah i i really liked that they shot it on location and they they sh- you know like like what you were saying those um that that part where they were uh, in the moors and they, they went into this small uh, village was actually filmed in uh, in Wales and in around this area of the black mountains. And it just, it, it was so authentic, you know, all the people in that, in that pub, they, they just looked British. What you know, was just the name the of that pub? What was the name of the pub again? The, had a, the slaughtered lamb. Slaughtered lamb. Slaughtered yeah, lamb. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, again, again. But, if I see that sign, not going in the slaughtered lamb. Oh, yeah. Not going in there. Yeah. <laughs> but the, just the way they dressed and their, you know, their their hats and their, the, even their faces, uh, you know, that they just they they were. It was so British. And um, even when they went to London. Um, yeah, it, you know, like, uh, he, he befriended a nurse after the attacks. Um, well, I guess I should back up a little bit. So him and his, his friend who's, who's, well, the, the main Dave, guys, David, and, David, David and Griffin. Yeah. David, uh, excuse me, uh, David, David Naughton and Jack. was the main guy. Yeah. The character, yeah, David Naughton and David. Griffin Dunn, uh, played, uh, his buddy, Jack Goodman. Um, who yeah. wasn't, uh, who was who I, and who I heard that in, um, uh, real life, he was really upset that he had to wear such uh, gruesome makeup because this was his big break and he didn't want to be covered up. He goes, people aren't going to want to look at me. I mean, I look hideous. Uh, and Rick Baker had to come in and be like, did you read the script? You know, <laughs> like wow. it says you got Rick- mauled. He goes, yeah, I just didn't think it was going to look like this. This is crazy. My throat's opened up and I look hideous. You know it's bad when when Rick when you have to get the smack on by Rick Baker. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> the most like mild mannered guy has yeah. to come and set you straight. 
I didn't think it was going to look like this. Rick Baker's like, well, I did. And then that's why that's why this is going to be a cult film for all eternity. Uh, because it was, the makeup in here is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's funny because Griffin Dunn's character is like, I mean, that's one of the things that sticks with you. You yes. know, that him keep, kept, he kept coming back trying to convince uh, David to to kill himself because... oh my god that is so intense that's one of the things I that know. struck me in this movie as just a gut punch the first time he comes in that hospital room and he's like david you've got to kill yourself like you got there's this such a darkness of your best mm-hmm. friend someone who loves you and you know once the best for you is like the best for you is if you kill yourself and he doesn't do it in a comedic way. He doesn't, he does it in this way that is just this stern. It's not even a warning. It's this command, David, kill yourself. And cause especially now in the last 10 years, when suicide has become so prevalent, especially with a younger generation, the thought of anyone responding to uh, a bad moment in your life with you should kill yourself is just outrageous. You would never say that to anyone nowadays. And so to hear those words from this character's best friend, that's the moment where for me, the kind of fun beginning romp where they're making jokes about the Moors and local pub people, (laughs) that's where it turns. And I'm like, Oh, this is horror. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some comedic parts to Griffin Dunn's character coming yeah, back. I mean, yeah, there, there was that part where he's like, "Well, first the of all, Mickey I thought Mouse, it was really he got the awesome. Mickey Mouse doll, and he's making Mickey, you know, it's like, Hi! oh yeah, yeah." <laughs> I thought it was that whole part was awesome, where they they were saying how a werewolf's victims um, aren't aren't dead or alive they're stuck in their spirits are stuck in limbo until the werewolf curse is broken and i thought that was a, a pretty cool little you know uh uh i don't know what you would call it a stipulation thrown in i don't know whatever but yeah griffin as character would come in and be like you know i'm stuck in limbo and you know until you until the curse is broken and he's like have you ever had a conversation with a corpse, David? It's <laughs> yeah. boring. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. And it was awesome that every time he'd come back, because he visited him several times, he'd be a little bit more decayed. And 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 towards the end, I mean, he was just basically like a rotting skeleton. Yeah, he was a, as a puppet, you know. It's a, he, he, yeah. His voice is a, the sound of uh, a puppet, basically. Um there's some other things I want to talk about this, but I want to. I think one of my thesis for the pop culture werewolf uh, episode we're doing is for a werewolf medium to pop in pop culture. I think the key element is the transformation of man into wolf. I think for me, that is one of the checklists to determine, is this a good werewolf movie or is this a bad werewolf movie? It's not just the look of the werewolf, but how the werewolf changes, uh, how the man changes into a werewolf or girl changes into uh, a werewolf. And I think Rick Baker in this movie sets the modern day precedent for what a werewolf transformation is. Uh, before that, in the original yeah. Wolfman, he's in a chair and they kind of just use some effects and he grows some long hair. 
But yeah, in this hair, one, it's it. the bones pop. It's painful. The snout stretches. Oh, He's yeah. screaming. And it, it's a it's a several minute scene where they just let you 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 can't escape it. And they do it in full light almost. It's not a dimly yeah, lit yeah. room. This is not a Jaws scene. They're not just barely showing you the shark. They're showing <laughs> you, they're like, look at this. Do not look away. You have to see how painful this is. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, you saw, you know, uh, uh, aside from like the, the fur growing, yeah, you saw his hands like just breaking and extending in his face. And the, the thing that I thought was really interesting is there was a there were parts where you could still see David's eyes in it. And then there was a point, like almost like a switch, where it you could tell, okay, this is no longer David, it's the beast, and his eyes just turn like yellow and beast-like. And that's the part that like, like really scared me. Yeah. You know, you can see where he just became feral. You know, yeah. it's like you can see it. Yeah, and he becomes but, this more wolf-like than man as far as... There is this kind of sliding spectrum of werewolves, right, Jay? Uh, we have the werewolves that tend to be more wolf-like, and we have the werewolves that tend to be more man-like. Which do you find yeah. more terrifying? Or what's your uh, what's your ideal werewolf aesthetic makeup? What What parts do they really have to get right for you to be like, that's terrifying? <laughs> honestly dude uh both of them would just, if i if i was on a like a an e you know a, a late evening walk and i saw either one of those things it yeah it would absolutely terrify me but um just i like the fact that that it looks it doesn't look like a wolf because yeah you said it looked like an animal it was a little more animal looking but you can it he, it was bigger and more menacing broader and yeah. yeah it it you know you even if you're not you know uh, some sort of a zoologist you can look at that thing and you'd be like what is that right you know and as long as it it's it's it doesn't look like it's like a cheesy wolf like you know straight up from the straight down from the mountains or something but if it's just got to be bigger and uh, like otherworldly, mm-hmm. you know. I don't care if it's more uh, half man, half half beast, and can even walk on two legs. That would scare the crap out of me. Also, that for me is the one I wrote down a couple of features that I think really get me with werewolves. Is I still like to see a little humanness in their eyes. Uh, I think that's where the emoting comes from. The upright walking werewolf scares me more than the more on all fours werewolf that idea of this dog even when dogs like when they're like you're feeding them a treat and they stand up on their hind legs i'm like get that fucking dog down that's terrifying (laughs) the little pink bellies are showing and they're like you know it's gross you can see like all the dog nips i don't want that um in in the business uh, no business being on two legs like this is what is this orwellian uh, animal farm Two legs good, four legs bad. Um, And um, uh, the snout has to be wolf-like. I like a long wolf snout. For me, the most one of the most terrifying werewolves I've seen is dog soldiers. They're just tall and lanky, and they have these 
long snouts because the snout for me that's what the camera captures really well is when that snout and they do this really well in american werewolf in london is that there's a lot of snout work jay there's a lot of snout work happening in here i appreciate a good snout yeah i appreciate a good snout because that's because you can't stop that because you could slap it around it still it finds a way to burrow in like a you know your dog that has those dogs those long snouts they can kind of just burrow <laughs> them in into your bed under your arm you're like no later then it's coming they kind of poke it and you're like get the fuck get, ah get out of here imagine that with like shark teeth coming at you you can't slap that away no no that that's that's there that's going to get you i that's also you. like in more classic uh Wolfman style, you know, it's not a werewolf, it's a wolf man. I like the hump, uh-huh. the kind of humped back. The humped back kind of uh makes me like if you've seen the new Wolfman with Benicio del Toro or uh-huh. uh Monster Squad Wolfman, uh that kind of raised heckles on the back uh is really good. But that kind of is the wolf man look as opposed to a yeah, wolf yeah. look. Which I put, I put Wolfman and Werewolf into the same categories, but there is a slight difference. Yes, yes, there is. I mean, one look just looks like a hairy dude mm. for them, you know. I mean, there's probably a lot of guys in the '70s that you know were sporting that look, but um, I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely would appreciate a more werewolf. Mm-hmm. It's more terrifying creature oh yeah you know what what i thought was an a weird moment in this movie is right before the transformation it's david in his house walking around for almost the entire song of bad moon rising they almost <laughs> they might play the entire track of credence clearwater's uh bad moon rising and by the way all the moon songs on the soundtrack i mean you have blue moon by bobby vinton you have blue moon by sam cook you have moon dance by van morrison you have bad moon rising by koreans clearwater revival you have blue moon by the marcells i mean it's it's moonerific going on here so you basically get a music video of david being bored in this house and then you're (laughs) like okay at some point it's gonna hit him then we cut away and then we come back to him he's just sitting in the chair and then it happens like that he's just like there's yeah. no music. There's no, it's just, it becomes, ah, oh, God, damn, I'm burning up, help me. And you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did I miss something? That, he was just sitting calmly and then it just, I almost thought he was joking because I've, I've never seen this movie before. And I thought, uh-huh. he, I thought it was a joke. I thought he was kind of just playing more pretend like he was doing for that long montage. But I'm like, oh no, this dude's, this dude's turning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, one more thing about the the soundtrack, yeah, that they used all the moon songs they could gather up, but um, I guess they wanted John Landis like really, really wanted to use um, Cat Stevens' Moon Shadow, but um, Cat Stevens had already had had converted to Islam, mm. and he had changed his name and everything, and he he did not want anything to do with this movie because of its you know, uh, occult, you know, implications and things like that. And so, yeah, he refused to let John Landis use that song, but yeah, that part, I still remember the first time when I was watching that part, when, when David was in, in his girlfriend's apartment and you, you know, he'd start doing, he started taking it. I'm like, I sit there and go, Oh boy, here it comes. 
you know, and, and sure enough, man, that scene delivered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the focal point of, of the whole movie. It is, I think why that movie, it's one of the major reasons why that movie is still so celebrated. It's just because the practical effects in that, uh, with the lighting in there, uh, with the new way a werewolf transform, how much pain there is. I think it just, it just hits on all, all cylinders. The sex scene, I will say though, is so ridiculous to me. This guy's <laughs> best friend just dies, right? And he's in the hospital. He wakes up. He has this hor- horrible Nazi like dream, which is terrifying. And then he's like, "Hey, what's up?" Now, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, Jenny <laughs> Jenny Aguder, I believe her name is. I looked it up. Is a smoke show. So I'm with him on this. I'm like, man, my best yeah. friend just got mauled by this weird creature, and I'm having these psychotic dreams. But she is hot. I get it. Um, I guess you could write it off as the wolf poison is already in him and it's causing him to be hypersexual. Uh, ah, that's the that's... only way you can make a play. But I think a line or two might might help me forgive this guy going out and, and, and getting his nut off when his best friend is <laughs> but a day in the grave. So, yeah, it's so it's that. Plus, like you said, he's ha- he's having these dreams. He's having a lot of nightmares. Like you mentioned, that that weird like Nazi demon nightmare. He has dreams of him being like this demonic creature running through the woods and being all animal like and killing deer and stuff. So that, and then he's having these other delusions of of his friend coming back to him and telling him to kill himself and all of this happening. And yeah, yet somehow he still has time to, <laughs> yeah. to focus on the ladies. And I, I can't blame him for this, uh, on this one. Uh, oh, no. then there is a very animal house, revenge, the nerds balloon, naked <laughs> balloon scene, uh, in the middle of this to lighten things up a little bit. It's like, uh, it felt like, a scene from it where he's in the bush and he's naked and he's like, come here, kid, kid, come over here. You want a, you <laughs> oh, yeah, want a pound? Yeah. How about two pounds? And the kid's just kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> and then he's running, yeah. running through the zoo with uh, balloons covering his junk until he swipes a coat and uh, uh, gets back to his uh, lady love. Um, so yeah, on there. Um, this is this werewolf movie very much focuses on werewolfism being a curse, uh, yes. not just to the to the person who's bitten, but to that person's victims. We talked about werewolf being oh. a metaphor. It, it is slightly in this movie, um, but this one really focuses on the idea of it being a curse, as that's the driving force behind the horror of it. Yeah, and and one of the most frightening parts of this movie other than than the actual werewolf but it's howl it had a really really spine tingling hair raising howl where it was it was like you can tell it was again you can tell something not of this earth and it was angry but there was like like a pain in it. Did you notice that? Did you yeah, by any chance? There's a whale. There's a whale in it. 
Uh, yeah. It's, it's not a it's not just a howl. There's a bit of a screech and wail in it that you're right. It does that that sound effect really does haunt because you don't get a lot this movie has very few shots of the werewolf in it you have that huge transformation right. scene and that's your that's your entree that's your like oh this is this is good it's gonna get and then there's then they're just very much more strategic about it once it's in full wolf form uh and so that howl has to do a lot of work it has to it, it's the donna donna in jaws and this yeah, it's a howl um and so when you Anything in pop culture horror where you're not showing the monster for whatever reason, maybe it's a low budget monster or whatever, is the sound has to work overtime. And I think that that what you just said about the howl really does encapsulate that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That you're you're spot on. Yeah. And you know what you mentioned before also when you were talking about what makes what makes or breaks a, a werewolf movie? And I think that one of those things is, does the werewolf look stupid? Right. You know, is, is it, is it, is it too cheesy looking? Is it, you know, and I like that you don't see the werewolf a whole lot in mm -hmm. this because of that very reason right there. Right. Because I don't, you know, if I see it too much, is it going to look like a, like a Muppet? It's gonna look like a like a Jim Henson Muppet, or you know, it's so or is it stiff in its movement that it doesn't feel like it could, like you could just run away, like it's zombie style. Like I'm just gonna jump out the yeah. window and be out. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that scene in the subway, um, where the the werewolf is is stalking just a just a poor hapless victim. Um, is so terrifying, and yeah, you still don't see him. In fact, there's a shot where it's like from up up above, and you see the the guy coming on the escalator, and then you see the mm. werewolf kind of coming into the picture far away. Is terrifying enough for me. You just you know you just got onto my my favorite scene. Of course, is the transformation, but my second favorite scene is the guy running through the tunnel uh, tunnels of the tube. When back in the uh -huh. 80s, when they were all postered with like sex ads and uh, uh, West End shows, and it looks like a punk club when he's running through these, and it's all kind of red, and, and the lighting is there, and you can hear the, the footwork, the, the running, again, that sound doing a lot of the work for you, and you see him, because yeah. it turns so much, I, I, the station looks very familiar, I've been to London several times, one, the tube, if he just got off that train, there's no way the tube is that empty. Never, never. I don't care what station is. And he was on the Northern line too. The Northern line is always packed. I don't care what decade it is. Uh, but it was so cool to see him running through those uh, tube tunnels and the colors, the color palette of the walls and the posters made it feel very like a punk rock death. Uh, and the yeah. idea of him trying, at some point he gives up. Like he's on this elevator and it's taking him up, but he can no longer even crawl or get to his feet because he is he is just so terrified that he's petrified to not even move in this scene. Uh, and that actor was great. He was also mm -hmm. great when he came back as the undead. His dry delivery yeah. was he I should get his name because he is an unsung hero actor in this movie. He's so British in the way he deals with being killed by, by, <laughs> killed by a werewolf. 
uh, and he has that, <laughs> that heartbreaking uh, speech about like, you know, my, my wife and kids don't have a father because of you. Uh, was yeah. great. He, he, that actor kills it. See, that that's another thing that I, I feel this movie benefited by having a director that was mostly known for comedies. Cause he, John Landis actually wrote this script in like 1969 and he couldn't find funding for it. And people thought, dude, this is too funny to be horror or this is too scary to be a comedy. Nobody wanted to fund it. It wasn't until he, he got success from uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, Blues Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That he was able to fund this. And I thought it was really interesting how he gave a lot of these characters a personality like that, that Scotland yard detective mm-hmm. that, that came in and uh, when he was questioning in the hospital, he was questioning uh, the, the hospital administrative staff and, and, and like, he just kept bumbling everything. Like he knocked over the, the bedpans and, and so even like that little boy that his nurse girlfriend was tending to, that was also in the hospital. The little yeah. boy kept saying, no, no, you know, it's like, why would you put that in there? Yeah. You know, and I think so many of these characters like had their own little, he was able to, to give them all such personalities. Even some of the people at the, at the pub, you know, when, when the hospital guy or the doctor guy went and questioned some of the people in the pub and, you know, I'd be like, gosh, I, I if they made a, like a, a spinoff movie about that little village. I would totally watch that. Yeah. 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 Cause it almost feels like for a moment, it almost feels like you're watching the movie Euro trip <laughs> where there's a bunch yeah. of like, you know, two American backpackers walking in. It's a fish out of water situation. They're like, do you have any tea? And they're like, no, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. but when they come back and revisit it again and, you know, some of them want to share the secret and some of them want to keep the idea of the werewolf a secret it becomes this underlying uh, undercurrent of terror in in the film. And it, it plays so well, uh, the comedy and horror right next to each other. So as we wrap up, the last thing yeah. I want to talk about American Werewolf in London is the end. The end is, I think, what made this movie stick with me through the rest of that day and that evening. Is, we you know, the, the wolf is uh, chased through Piccadilly, you know, and finally is cornered in this alleyway. And uh, nurse Alex Price you know, charges past the police line and she walks into the alleyway and then our our wolf, uh, David, appears and she tries to speak to David. She says, David, David. And the wolf has a moment of recognition where it's fighting against this animal urges and it's it's trying yeah. to get back to, to David because David does truly love her. You know, he's told her that they've told each other that they love each other. Uh, and yeah. they, they, they actually are good together. Like the chemistry is there. Like I feel the chemistry between these two actors. That's sold to me. And I do care about their relationship, even though it's only been... Uh, a few minutes is kind of this whirl, whirlwind romance that might not last, but in the movie, it's really good. And uh, then he goes full wolf and there's about to be a charge. And then the police just light this wolf up. And then the next shot we <laughs> see is just David in the, the trash of this gutter with bullet holes. And then boom, cut the black end card. And I'm just like, Again, I talked about it being a bit 
um, Scorsese-esque, like 1970s uh-huh. Scorsese, like Mean Streets and uh, Taxi Driver. To me, that felt like a 1970s gritty end where it's just like, fucking deal with it. Dead. And then, but it it it, it actually cuts to the uh, the Marcells, blue moon, and that's what makes it even more like what it's shot dead body black bang da bang bang da blue moon blue blue moon moon bloom, and he just picks up that pace again, and you're left. I was left sitting on my couch, being like, what the. Oh, and I'm also like <laughs> dancing to the song too. I'm 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 like I'm like I really feel this loss. And again, it's that terror right next to the comedy. Terrifying scene, terrifying image, terrifying heartbreak of this love loss. And then it becomes grease all of a sudden. You know? Yeah, that, I think that's really interesting how you said you're left with it and and like you said, deal with it. And that is exactly the kind of a filmmaking that it's respectful to its audience. You know, I don't, sometimes I don't like a, you know, plot advancement, uh, just totally spoon fed to you. You know, I like it when it, like you said, it's just cut off and you're like, here you go. You figured out however you think this happened, you yeah. know, and, and, and you're left with, you know, this, this, totally horrible tragic ending mixed with that song which you usually find is like a you know like a fun uplifting yeah and yeah you're just going huh it's almost like it's almost like lannis's fuck you to what you said earlier about people not wanting to finance it because like it's too comedic or it's too horrific and when you when you end it like that it's like you decide because it's horrific and then it's just immediately funny again uh, on there and it's almost like he ends it like he brings it to this horrific crescendo and then we slap it in the face a little bit of, of this very comedic sounding song and it's just like there you go you decide what it is yeah is it a, a yeah. horror film to you or is it a comedy um and i, think I like that's that great, as opposed to it being like dark tones at the end then it kind of it it, it kind of packages itself as a horror film straight up because right. you have this boom, boom, boom or a howl or some shit like that it, it really does leave the the question open-ended to the genre so yeah yeah um so speaking of songs uh and uh songs that are about moons and and barking and howling uh why don't you <laughs> go ahead and tell us what's next jay so the last thing we're going to talk about is Ozzy Osbourne's uh, Bark at the Moon record, which came out in 1983. And so, yeah, some people may think, okay, isn't this a little bit on the nose? Um, you know, if, if you've seen the album cover, it's got, you know, Ozzy as like a werewolf and he's, you know, barking at the moon. However, one of the things that that I thought was interesting that, that kind of ties this in in a way that some people may not know is that um, you know, we talk about werewolves and and the moon and and lunacy. Well, there was a man, uh, Canadian man by the name of uh, James Jollimore, and he murdered a woman and her two children um, after listening to this record. 
And so that that's kind of one of the things I wanted to to to, to start off with and, and ask Travis, like what what do you think about um like uh, heavy metal music in that whole thing in the eighties with heavy metal music being linked to uh, people doing, you know, crazy stuff, you know, like suicides and murders. And, and uh, I mean, do, do you think there is any basis for that? Do you think, um, you know, after listening to Judas priest or, or iron maiden or Ozzy, do you, you know, do you think those kind of things can actually compel someone to go out and do horrible stuff like that? Um, I think it's kind of surface level psychology. I think there's an easy tie to make there. Uh, in in tune with the the metaphor of the werewolf being a uh, a man's or or a person's de evolving into their more primal state, uh, and uh foregoing the trappings of society and politeness and all that. I think that heavy metal music, the themes in which heavy metal music tends to work with and the sounds that they produce, there is some internal thing, apparatus in that I think for young people that it hits that is in touch with our basic primal instincts with the, mm-hmm. the themes, the lyrics and the sounds. I think it, it, it kind of hits that sweet spot. It allows us, I mean, that's why we can, ba- I mean, we bang our heads, right? We, we, that's, it, that is the body's natural response to this music is to bang your heads is to jump around. It's to throw your arms up. It's to shake your fist. And I think that is, the body's natural reactions to sounds. I think that I think bodies, uh, the, the human body does respond differently to different sounds, um, and different sounds stimulate your brains in different way. Whether it be classical music in a way or um, heavy metal music, and I think it can produce or get almost get a tuning fork tune in a certain primal human nature or a very academic lofty human nature, uh, and so. I I don't think it's to the degree that if someone listens to an album that they're going to go out and kill people in, in a sense. I think that that has always been in that person. Um, and yeah. I think that heavy metal music would be a very, very small minuscule way to feed that urge a little bit. But I don't think it creates that urge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's not this, it'll be, you know, like we we're talking about, uh, it'll be mean streets or taxi driver or something yeah, you know? yeah. it'll be I, something that gets as much guy. as i hate to admit that stuff because the last thing i want people to do is to start slapping labels on shit like they did in the 80s and 90s where there was this war on you know pop culture was the reason for school shootings and pop culture was the reason for satanism and dungeons and dragons is gonna make you uh violent and gay <laughs> Uh, yeah 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 it only makes you one of those things um and it's yeah so as much as i hate to admit that i think i don't think it's the cause but i think it can i can i think it can feed certain urges i think it, I, I think it can help someone lose themselves in the already created fantasy of their lunacy Ooh, yeah wow. just lose themselves further huh? jesus look at that that just came out jay already lose That's- yourself in the fantasy <laughs> 
That's good, man. That's a, that's that's a walk-off. I'm gone. Take care of it, Jake. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So let's let's talk about the, the music that's actually on this album. So like I said, it's, it's Ozzy's um, third solo record since leaving uh, Black Sabbath in, in 1979. I, I, I found that it was the only one that he has gotten sole credit for writing. For yes, the lyrics. Like yes. He, it's, and there's some debate on that I, I saw as well. Where, yeah. You know, where the guitarist came in and uh, uh, who's the guitarist, guitarist this one? Jake, um, Jake Lee um, is on the guitarist on this album, I think, right? I believe. I think uh-huh. he's the one. Uh, uh-huh. And um, he was like, no, nah, I actually was responsible for a lot of that writing as well. But uh, regardless of it, um, yeah, it, it, uh, so go ahead. You had a question. I, I interrupted you. You're t- you said you oh, no, to no, talk it's about fine. the music of it. I, I was going to ask you what 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 your thoughts on, on on some of the songs were. Did you have a, a a song or two that that stood out? Yeah, let's take a let's take a deeper dive because we're kind of talking about werewolves, and then we can talk about the album more broadly and the sounds of it. Let's talk. About, let's take a look at Bark at the Moon. Right, our our titular track, our first track on the album. Bark at the Moon. And if you are a Pop Bonsai fan or you're going through these experiences with us, I highly suggest to get the most out of the pop culture experience is when you're listening to the album or the, the songs that we picked for the the set is to actually have the lyrics pulled up or if you have the album to have the, yeah. the liner notes. It really does make a difference in how you digest it with the themes. Uh, oh, yeah. And so there were a couple of things uh, on Bark of the Moon and the lyrics. Um, the, so it opens up with screams break the silence, waking from the dead of night. Vengeance is boiling. He returns to kill the light. Um, this to me, you know, I, I watched American Werewolf from London, but I also watched Wolf uh, with Jack Nicholson. And Bark at the Moon, to me, screams at the... Uh, conflict that Jack Nicholson is going through. He he is an older mm-hmm. guy, and he has you know kind of been sedated, and he's become more docile in his older age. And he's bitten by this wolf, and then he starts to let his primal urges, his id, run, control his life. And for me, uh-huh. this is what Ozzy's talking about in Bark at the Moon. It's screams break the silence, waking from the dead of night, vengeance is boiling. This person has has let go of the trappings that have sedated his personality, that have let people walk over him. And now all those ideas of vengeance and lust that he has been holding back are no longer held back, right? And he's going to bark at the moon. It is time to unleash the... In order for survival, it could be survival in society, it could be survival in his love life, it could be survival in this... But in order to to be successful and thrive, I must bring out that inner wolf. And I thought his lyrics. Interesting. Yeah. Um, years, because he talks about years spent in torment, buried in a nameless grave. Now he has risen. Miracles would have to save those that the beast is looking for. Listen in awe and you'll hear him. This idea of 
uh, year spent in torment in a buried nameless grave makes me think that, oh, he's he's in a grave of his own making. He's in a tomb of his own making. Uh, and it makes me think of that, which I really like that idea of sometimes in life you got to go full wolf, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you think he was talking about Black Sabbath? Like being in the band Black Sabbath right there? Oh, is that something? Is as someone come up? Is that a theory in this song? No, I I was I just thought that's, about that. That's we were... that's a <laughs> yeah. You just blew my mind. Like if, I, if he even wrote it, who knows yeah, if he even yeah. wrote that song? But. I mean, you could it could be a metaphor for him, you know, going darker and and like now that I'm separated, those guys were holding me back, and now it's time yeah. to to throw my head back and. Arr! Yeah, because he does become even darker and more satanic in this period than he ever was with Sabbath. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I almost want to say more like in a like a cartoony kind of way. A a, a cult, a cult toony, if you will. Yeah, (laughs) because Black Sabbath was pretty dark. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think they even sounded darker than Ozzy does on on his individual stuff. Yeah, yeah. But heavier, uh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Heavier. They sound heavier, certainly. I think oh, yeah. Sound, yeah. It, um, but yeah, there was like you like we were saying before, there was a lot of controversy with the songwriting. You know, supposedly um, Sharon, who, who was his manager even back then, um, I guess, went to everybody and said, hey, you guys are going to all help write this record and you're going to get paid for it. But all credit's going to go to Ozzy. And um, supposedly Ozzy even admitted this um, years and years and years later that, that, yeah, that was true to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe he had more creative control than he normally would have had, but it still was a group effort. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So who knows if he wrote that song? I don't know. What are some, what um, are some tracks that stand out to you on this album? Um, well, so I, I like the song Bark of the Moon enough, but I kind of don't think I think it like starts starts picking up um I don't know, maybe third third song in, uh, like Rock and Roll Rebel, I thought. I liked Rock was and Roll really Rebel cool. a lot. That's probably in my top um, three of this of this uh um uh album. Yeah. Um Center of Eternity. That's my number one. Really cool. That's my number one on yeah. the album. That beginning oh, of that the beginning awesome. of that is just so Oh, I'm like, I kind of want more of that. And it comes at a good time because the the music starts to become almost like one song in that first half of the album. And then Center to Eternity comes in and it kind of breaks up what may become monotonous, what may become monotonous if it's not broken up with some sort of effect. And I think that that breaks it up nicely. It's in a nice bell. Yeah, it's, it's a nice yeah, palate, palate cleanser. I wonder if that starts the second. I wonder if that's the first on the B side of the album. That would be uh, that would be a good that would be a good first B side track. You that know, would be because you know, like if you you know when you put albums on, sometimes you don't look at what side you're putting on. Like you would immediately know if it, what side you put on if if uh, Bark of the Moon was on <laughs> one and then Center to Eternity was on the other. Yeah, they, uh, so, so let me ask you about the, the song, uh, The Ballad, uh, So Tired. W- w- do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, it's like, like his Beth, like his answer to Beth. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. 
that type of sound, the the 80s ballad sound is not something that I find particularly pleasing. To me, it feels so novelty of the time. Yeah. But he's he's doing it sincerely. Like it's a sincere ballad for him mm-hmm. but i just for me in that in in general with that in, in general with that genre those kind of um 80s power ballads um have never been one of my favorites i like a if I, i'm not a huge m- a metal fan or uh but if i do i want i want that heavier sound that we're that we're getting on some of those other other tracks that seem almost uh, Van Halen reminiscent uh, than anything. That that kind of Van Halen driving guitar, not the not the soloing, but the that you know that kind of Panama guitar. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's weird because most people, uh, I remember it was like the power ballad that really, like like would break a band, you know, especially like in in like the mid late 80s with with some you know even with like guns and roses i mean gosh yeah i remember welcome to the jungle came out yeah but but what i remember what what really just like catapulted those guys was sweet child of mine yep um you know it it was always the ballad well i think uh, i wonder if i wonder if the reason is because it's a bunch of dudes in like their trans ams in the 80s listening to metal music like their tracks but then, you know, they're always driving around with their girlfriends and then the ballad comes on <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's that's something we could both buy. I'm not saying that women don't listen to metal. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> but uh, in a time in that time period where there are more probably gender role based kind of relationships, that was something that it could be like, she's got a smile. Oh, I love this song. It just seems to me. <laughs> As opposed to, he's been messing with Mr. Brownstone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it delivered to like both. Yeah, it was more universally appealing to anyone. It was, I think, I think those are the songs that brought, that would make someone who's not into metal buy that album for that track because it does have one foot in universal appeal. So I think that's what allowed them to blow it out. And I think it's why all those metal bands were like, we need to get one of those yeah. on, on, on the album so we can uh, um, sell more. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think a lot of times they would even buy a ballad for, especially with like a lot of those like crappier bands towards the end, like, like Warrant or Skid Row or whatever mm-hmm. bands like that. I, I'm, almost positive it, they would like just buy the ballad from another songwriter oh, yeah. just yeah. to have that on there to, yeah. you know and I, I i tell you what there is i mean there are certainly times in my life when i'm hanging out you know you're driving around and that power ballad comes on and you're like yeah yeah baby uh, oh yeah but as far as <laughs> listening to an album that i'm digesting when i got to that track i was like all right here's the ballad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it the, it feels kind of out of place. Like even like the the production, like his voice and stuff, seems different. Like the whole mm. tone of that song is is different from the rest of the album in a way. It almost took me out of it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, man. I, I you know it. 
I didn't care for the power ballad like back in the day. Um, but I definitely appreciate it now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's nostalgic for it now for sure. Cause you don't, you don't have them yeah. anymore. You don't have that. That's, that's, a, that's a, it's music from its era. You know, it's, it's not something that is easily reproducible in a way. I mean, the darkness can maybe kind of do it, but then even then it seems novelty, kind of like a, a novelty or goof song, uh, where I don't know if a power ballot can be done like this in sincerity anymore. I think everyone would just see it as, oh, I see what you're trying to do. This is like a goof track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, a you know, maybe people would like it ironically. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like or like a like a, it's like a bar song, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so where do you think? Okay, so you, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, the, the music like this is kind of a product of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a good but, album. Like it's it's. I listened to it twice. I listened to it once because just because I hadn't listened to this album as an album ever before. I've never listened to this as an album. So I listened to it uh-huh. once in kind of study mode, and then I took I, I put it on the road. I gave it some legs. I went to the gym and worked out with it, pumping a little uh-huh. iron, Jay. Yeah, getting my sets wow. in. And I'll tell you, that, that, <laughs> it does play well at the gym. It, it 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 plays well at the gym. You have like a lot of me. I mean, Ozzy's vo- Ozzy's voice just has that like I'm gonna go lift some weights kind of vibe to it. And uh, but yeah, I thought I thought it was it it works well as kind of a just party kind of album and also when you read the lyrics to it there's some dark introspection uh, that i think plays in well with that kind of werewolf uh, of a guy um going backwards to go forwards um de-evolving himself so he his life can evolve in order for my life to evolve i have to de-evolve myself um Mm, now i think there's in some of the lyrics you see that has some disastrous consequences and it has things like, you know, killing and murder and beast, which you could make the argument. The woman who killed someone was like really honing in on those parts. Uh, but as a metaphor for, uh, primal introspection, I think it's a good album. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so let me ask you this. So, uh, American werewolf, in London comes out 1981 Rick Baker's effects were uh, I mean, it was industry chain. It was, uh, I mean, what he did was so groundbreaking beyond anybody's imagination so much so that Michael Jackson saw this movie and was so taken by it. He hired Rick Baker and all of his team to come and make the thriller video. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fast forward a couple years, 1983, Ozzy Osbourne's Bark at the Moon. Do you think American Werewolf in London kind of had, uh, was influenced, uh, or Ozzy was influenced by American Werewolf in London with this, I, this whole I, werewolf I, I, motif? I, I, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I, I think that we talked about like, oh, why aren't they making more werewolves? I think American Werewolf, because I think, uh, what was the movie that came right after that? That was also a werewolf movie. Was it The Howling that uh-huh. came after, right after that, like the same year, or it was one of those? Oh, Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet came out later in the year that uh, within a year of uh, American Werewolf in, in London. 
And those are two heavy hitters. So that was kind of like, if we had to pick a werewolf renaissance, that might be it. Uh, and yeah, yeah. You're so right. werewolves were really on the brain between those two heavy hitters and whatever other B werewolf movies that came out among that. Cause you know, if there's two big hits, there's going to be three or four little hits. Uh, so I think if we were to do a deeper pop study, that might've been the werewolf renaissance. And if so, Ozzy adds to it with this album. You know, yeah, 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 and those are two other movies. If you're wanting to, you know, like Travis said, dive, you know, head first into into werewolfdom, then uh, uh, Howling and Silver Bullet are. In fact, it was so hard to pick one of those three. I'm like, I know I want to pick one of those three to talk about, um, but yeah, we need to speak. Wolf in London, but those those other two are just as great, in my opinion. I think you picked a good one. I think I think because it's it's very it has so much different elements of pop culture in it, and I was I, I it was my favorite of the werewolf movies that I watched this week. Um, and when so as we're kind of wrapping up our our werewolf edition here, I would say some of the things that we kind of our takeaways of this kind of werewolf set would be. There's a lot of different ways you can approach a werewolf movie. The mythology, the curse aspect of it, or the metaphor for it. Uh, I personally like it as a metaphor, but I've seen people like what we see with John Landis do a really entertaining story with the curse aspect of it. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I think we would like to see maybe people explore what we learned from the podcast is there is, we've only touched the surface of, of, the elements of lycropathy or whatever they call it uh, that can be maybe brought into pop culture. So if you're a budding filmmaker or writer out there, I encourage you to go deep into this werewolf lore and find something and, and, and turn it around. I know ginger snaps I haven't seen, but I know that they use, yeah. they use it as a metaphor for puberty uh, with young girls. Um, so, I think that we've only touched the surface of metaphors that werewolf, werewolves could be, and uh, we've only touched the surface of the mythology in pop culture. And I'll be interested to see. I'm I'm certainly more interested now, looking into the future landscape of pop culture. If another werewolf movie were to come out, I would be interested in watching it for which route they take. Yeah, definitely, definitely. As opposed to um, it just being a monster. I don't like it when it's just yeah. used as a monster. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're missing a lot of uh you're missing an opera a great opportunity if you just do like a you know a slasher type, you know, mm -hmm. thing with a werewolf. But yeah. um yeah, there's there's actually a couple of really good comics too. Um well one of them is called Moonshine. I, and I it takes that. place during did you? Mm -hmm. I really like that. Mm -hmm. And um, there was another book that you're talking about, about being a uh, metaphor for puberty. Um, I a man eaters. Mm. And um, it was more about uh, uh, girls when they they, uh, like when they have their period, they uh, they turn into uh, cats, <laughs> like big man-eating cats, uh, instead of werewolves. But it's kind of the same premise. Yeah. 
but it was a pre- it was a really cool book too. Nice. So there's an extra medium you can go to to scratch your uh, werewolf itch there. So, ladies and gentlemen, we hope that you have a great Halloween holiday that's coming up. We hope that you're going to come back once we stop talking about spooky stuff and start talking about other stuff. I think we have a, uh, a November lineup. We're calling one The Immigrant Set, which we'll put up on our website here uh, in a few days after this podcast. So you can watch and read and listen along with us. And then we have the, what is we calling it? The Home for the Holiday or the Holiday Set? What are, Jay, you came up with that one. What do we, what do we name that one where we're looking at that? I think we're just talking about the, uh, I think it was called the family, family yeah. set. Yeah. Family Something set. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with Thanksgiving, right. Just right around the corner. So we're going to take a look at some, uh, pieces of pop culture related to that. Again, you can find all our podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher. You can go to our website, popbonsai.com and listen to, you have a few more days to listen to our Halloween playlist. Honestly, you can listen to that any time of the year. It's a great playlist. Oh, but yeah. If you want to get in the Very mood, <laughs> you got a couple of days left. And until then, young popsters, we will catch you on the next wave. Bonsai!